directly with the coach. Man. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. radiocom of the day, power resides in the will of the righteous. Hello, Sanction Knights, and welcome to the Grim Dark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. Welcome to episode 50 of the show. We finally hit the big 5-0. You know, we did have big plans at one point about making this a, a live show or trying to get more people on, but due to general disorganization on my part mainly, thanks to my still persistent injury, yep. although at least I can say during this episode, I am recording sitting up. Yes. Last episode, I had to record lying down. Yeah. Uh, because of my uh, my back injury, but uh, unfortunately, not going to have any sort of major special events. But you know, it's still a milestone. It's still one that's worth marking. It, it feels good to hit fifty shows. Yes. Yeah. You know, and and here's to to fifty more. I, I I guarantee we'll do something a little bit nicer for our hundredth episode. Yeah. It's a good two years away now. I'm, I can make that promise and oh, okay. and, be, and feel fairly reliable. I can actually hit that as well. Okay. Um, if you are hearing our show for the first time, we are a podcast. All about the Warhammer 40k role-playing settings, mainly ones well, created by Fantasy Flight Games. We cover a different show. We cover a different game system each show. Uh, tonight's show will be all about only war. Uh, before we get too far into that, though, let's talk about what we've done in our last sort of uh, fortnight. I think really all we had was we played our Star Wars game. Yeah, we had one game of Star Wars, and that's been about it. That's it, yeah. That, and that, lots that, of computer games. Yeah, lots of computer games. That's it. I, I, I've been spending quite a bit of time playing Regicide. Yep. So Regicide, which was released, is the uh, we spoke about the show before, is uh, a strategy game based around chess. Uh, yeah. So I mean, yeah, you can play it as just chess, or you can play in Regicide mode, where the pieces also have special abilities. Um, but there's also a campaign mode, which has a storyline developed by Ross Watson. Yep. Uh, which I'm about, I think, eight missions into of I think 50 missions total. Um, and so, so the way that these uh, the storyline missions work, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about it. We'll, we'll do a review later on, but I want us to talk about my experiences so far. Is that you'll get sort of like a so you have a chessboard layout, and it won't be a conventional layout. It's like it's like when you get the newspaper and they've got like a sample chessboard layout, and it says you know try and do this many moves as such. Yeah, there'll be a sample layout of of figures, and, and it won't just be like take the king. So the first one you get is you have five pawns, they have five pawns, and the objective is take all their pieces with a secondary objective of don't lose any of your own. You know, and then you get one, you get one later on where it's like, get this piece to this square, you know, or take out all their bishops or, you know, take out all their, their rooks, that sort of thing, you know, various rules like that. Uh, and, and of course, the way the system works is that any legal chess move that would take a piece is instantaneously successful. Yep. But on top of that, pieces have abilities like they can shoot, they can throw grenades, you get special... Uh, strategic initiative abilities you can use yourself to protect pieces as well. So there's a whole extra tactical element to it. Yeah. So I've actually been finding that the campaign really enjoyable. I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not a chess prodigy. Um, when I was in uh, secondary school, I, I did used to teach chess to younger students and such. But I'm not exactly a you know world class player. But I, I I know the rules and I can sort of look at the board in the game and sort of figure a way around it. And the only thing I found a little bit frustrating was yeah. the fact that. 
What do you want to say, sorry? The best way to tell if someone's any good at playing chess is ask them, is it called a knight or a horsey? Mm. Or a castle or a rook. Yes. It's, it's probably a better one to say, but yeah. Mm. Um. <laughs> I find people calling it a horsey pretty yeah. clear indicator. And, and, and sometimes, actually, I find playing the game, I've got to try and remember which... Um, uh, which figure on the board is actually which chess piece because when I first saw the Devastator again I thought oh the Devastator must be that's, that looks like a rook you know but it's not the Devastator is the bishop and the Terminator is the rook okay yeah but I didn't have Terminators on the board at the time so um, anyway um, what I found was I've tried to play the game can, can I just say that yeah. sounds like a problem which would have been fixed by looking at the manual for like 10 seconds <laughs> you get off steam there's no manual <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, anyway uh, so uh I found that I tried to play strategically like I would play chess. So there was one mission where the goal was to capture all the enemy's bishops. Yep. Right? And they had one bishop left, and it was currently threatening one of my pawns. And I had a second pawn in place that protected the first pawn. So, and I was trying to line up another way to get to that bishop with another piece. And the bishop took my pawn, which then meant I took its, pawn, I took its bishop away and won the game. So it sacrificed its you know, a more powerful piece and the game to take a pawn. Um, but what that meant was I, I failed the secondary objective of don't lose any pieces. Yeah. Um, the other thing I found is that I've got to remember that that a piece is still vulnerable to the regular attacks. So the last mission I played, which I failed, I had uh, my first librarian, which is the queen, and the objective was to capture all the enemy's uh, rooks, and, sorry, sorry um, bishops and knights, and but not let the queen be taken. And I was always able to get the queen in a position where it couldn't be taken, but I kept having pieces move near it so they could shoot it, and eventually it died from the you know the regicide base rules of damage not being taken by another piece. Yeah. So I've got to sort of you know, adjust my strategy. You've got to shield it better. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. and, and you also get things like there you get objects on the board too. It's like some piece, some squares are have like barricades or like you know, vehicle traps as such to stop you from moving through them or prevent line of sight too. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. If you want to just play chess, you can just play chess in it as well. But okay. yeah, I'm certainly enjoying the sort of the unique challenges that each individual campaign mission presents. So um, quite good. But that was that's our game anyway for the last fortnight. Hopefully, we'll do some more in the next fortnight. Now that I'm starting to to feel a bit better. Be mobile. Uh, but yeah, that's right. Be able to you know drive a car, you know sit in a chair, all these sort of things that make my life you know able to continue. P. Yeah, no, that's always that's, that's been fine. It's been fine. Thanks very much. Okay. Uh, so, right. the, so the diapers are just a comfort thing. <laughs> it's always been the case. <laughs> uh, all right. So, tonight's episode only war. Uh, we've got a news section. We're going to talk about the psychic rules uh, because because we'll be talking about the sanctioned psyker uh, as our career discussion. Then we'll do our plot hooks and war gear section. We're doing a review of salvaging solace. Then my general talk I want to talk about is one I think we sort of discussed in part before, but I want to go a bit deeper into, which is awarding experience in games. Yep. Uh, then we'll do our regular community section and close out the show. Okay. So without further ado, let's jump straight into it. Command acknowledged. Accessing Imperial Archives. So new, news-wise in this last fortnight, not really much from FFG. Only thing on the 40k line is the announcement that The Great Devour has been released. Yep. So I think we mentioned it before because I picked it up at Gen Con, but I wasn't, I wasn't actually aware it hadn't been released to retail stores yet, but now it has. So Great Devourer, which is the 2 box set for Warhammer Conquest, is now out there. But uh, nothing really else from, from FFG at this point in time. Uh, Games Workshop, once again, no big announcements. Uh, still, I guess, all sort of tied up in Age of Sigma, but 
We did no, see oh, no, no. the summer of Sigmar is over. They're, they're getting ready to release all the the forty k stuff. Okay, because yeah. I, I did see there's there's some new corn demons. Yep. Um, they've got a new grey knights uh, uh, battle box and such, or, or box set. So, yep. um, it looks like they're doing sort of the, the grey knights versus demon thing at the moment, which is yeah, Get, getting ready to. Uh, did you see the new town giant walker titan type thing? No, I didn't see this. No, no, it's giant new town battle suit from Forge World. Looks like quite a nice model. Um, be interested to see how it actually goes. How are we talking? You know, on, on the table. Probably you know? about twice the size of, size of a, a dreadnought. Okay, easily, nice. well, okay. easily. Yeah. It's oh, pretty big because what they needed, what they needed was more big suits. Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> you need a gun, damn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I will say also on the Games Workshop side, this week saw the release of um, Blood Bowl Two uh, from Cyanide Studios, uh, as in the, the computer game version. Uh, we both played the last. Yeah, the last version with yep. its uh, fantastic rum- random number generator. Yeah, that's it. I think I think one of the big problems of the last version was that the when you selected the game difficulty, it didn't just affect the AI; it affected how regularly you rolled well or rolled poorly. Yeah, uh, which isn't really how a random number generator is supposed to work. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been playing some Blood Bowl two myself. Um, I, I think so. There's there's two audiences for this game. I think there are the people that just want to play Blood Bowl at home on their computer, this you know, against the AI or whatever against friends. And there are these people who love to do these massive online leagues. Um, there's a, a actually a thing called Fumble out there, which was this big league of Blood Bowl. It was like like a play by play by post or play online sort of thing for a long while too. So Blood Bowl's got a big following of players. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, they released so many more teams after the original game came out as well. And so this the new uh, so Blood Bowl two now is launched with humans, orcs. Dwarves, High Elves, Dark Elves, Skaven, Chaos, and Bretonians. Uh, plus, they're saying that there will soon be Lizard Men and Wood Elves. So, you know, if you're a fan of Blood Bowl and the Old World, I, I certainly say check it out. I've, I've been enjoying it. The, um, the graphic updates are very nice. Uh, my only real complaint at the moment is that you can't... When you, when you create a league, it has to be online. You can make it an invite-only league. But you still couldn't do a thing where I say, okay, I'm going to get eight of my friends around to my place. We're going to put on the Xbox One. Everyone's going to make a team and we're just going to have a day of playing a Blood Bowl League using the in-game league system because it won't let you from one system as such or one game have multiple teams join the same league. Uh-huh. So, um, you, I mean, you could do it by doing a whole series of, you know, quote-unquote friendly matches, but then you've also got to work out how you then get the points to do your star players, and yeah. um, it's, it's not going to work properly as such. So it would have been nice to be able to do a local league. I think that's my on the complaint. one computer. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I guess they want all eight people to go and buy a copy of it. Yeah, which is no problem if, if all eight of you are happy to sit. I mean, or you can do more than eight as well. You can do huge leagues if everyone's prepared to do it from home. But I'm talking about let's just do it. You know, I mean, I suppose you, if you get, if you want to do it, you know. Or the same Land place. party. Yeah, well, you, well, if you do the same place, you could do pull your board game out of such, you know. But this has got nice graphics and it's got commentary and, you know. It's... Come on, so, so, you don't have to paint the models. That's it, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We all know where you're coming exactly from. Right. And they all look different as well, yeah. They all, they, like, when you when you make your players, you get to pick their head, that sort of stuff, you know, so you can have a diverse team and everything. <laughs> uh, anyway, but I've been, I've been enjoying Blood Bowl 2 and I'd say certainly check it out. It's, it's worth the money on Steam. Eternal um, Crusade, the closed beta continues. Um, I can't say anything more about any involvement that we may or not have in it. Um, I will say that apparently all captains are in the game now. So people that took a captain's back or higher are playing it. Uh, sergeants 
should be in the closed beta by the end of October, and people with warrior packs should be in there by sometime in November. Okay. So, uh, yeah, they had a recent update, which really just covered off everything that sort of changed. The fact that they've really focused on, on it being an, a multiplayer online shooter. That's what they're now calling the game, rather than an MMORPG. It's a multiplayer online shooter, and that's what they're focusing on now. Yeah. Uh, so that's it for the news. Let's uh, get into the main part of the show. Okay. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. So let's go into talking about Only War. And uh, because I'm going to be talking about the sanctioned psycho, I figured let's talk about the psychic system for Only War. I think we have covered off every other psychic system so far. We've done Dark Heresy, including Second Ed, because um, we did the, the Mystic already. Yep. We, we've done Rogue Trader. We've done Death Watch. We've done Black Crusade. So this is our final... Psychic system discussion. Yep. Um, realistically speaking, this one is very similar to the Black Crusade system. Yes. Uh, I, I'd say that you know, if you had, if you wanted two of the, the most similar, I'd say these are it. You can sort of see where some parts of this have, have bled then into uh, Dark Heresy Second Edition, but yep. it does have the fundamental difference about how psi rating works. Yep. So, start off with as with all psychic systems, it is based on your psi rating. And the only psychic class in the game that players can play, being Sanctioned Psyker, starts with a psi rating of two. And uh, it uses the, once again, the, the fettered, unfettered, and push system. Yep. And it has the breakdown of bound, unbound, and demonic psychers. Yep. So, I mean, that, that, that really came over from, from Black Crusade. So, bound psychers, which are what most PCs are going to be, when they use powers fettered, they use it at half their psi rating rounding up, and there's no chance of psychic phenomena. When they use it at their regular, when they use it unfettered, they use their full rating, and they get psychic phenomena on doubles. And when they push, they have they can add between one and three psi rating to that. When they push, uh, they will generate a phenomena, and they add plus ten to the phenomena. So it's a straight plus 10, so whether you add plus 1, plus 2, or plus 3, yeah, it, it doesn't it, matter. Yeah, it's the same with going unfettered. It's any more than half your psi rating. There's no reason not to use your full psi rating. That's right. Yeah. yeah exactly right. Um, okay, so unbound psychers, uh, they, once again, use half their psi rating rounded up for fettered. For their unfettered, they use their full psi rating. They only generate on doubles. It's not like other systems where you know that they don't generate on doubles. They only generate on a double still. But they automatically add plus 10 for being for being um, unbound. unbound. Uh, when they push, they can push anywhere up to plus 5. But when they on when they make their roll there, which they have to make, they add plus 5 to the roll per one extra siren they add. Yep. So there is a bit of a gamble there. In fact, a, an unbound psyker pushing at plus 1 only adds plus 5, whereas a bound psyker adds plus 10. But the unbound psyker has the base plus 10 As well. just for being, a, yeah, just being yep. a, unbound. Um, okay, so, and demonic psychers can't use fetter, they can't fetter their powers. They are just creatures of the warp, that's just not what they can do. Uh, unfettered, they use their full rating, they, but they generate phenomena on doubles, and they have plus 10, just like an unbound. Uh, they can push up to plus 4, but they add 10 per plus 1 they add. So they can push out to add up to 40. So this is all, I think, very similar to Black Crusade. To Black Crusade, yeah. That's it. Um... Now, the nature of the test is a focus power test, which is normally a willpower test. Some psychic powers have different things you roll, and you add five to your effective willpower per per final psi rating. Yeah. So, say you had your psi rating of two as a starting character, 
you push and add additional two, for example, you've now got four, so you're adding plus 20 to your willpower for the purpose of making the roll. So unlike Daikari's second edition, the benefit of pushing is you get a better chance of pulling off the power, and, and the power was more powerful, powerful because a lot of things like range, damage, damage. etc., are going to be based on a multiple of your side rating. Yep. Uh, okay, now you automatically fail... If you roll 91 or above, no matter how good your willpower is, you automatically fail. Was that, that was in Black Crusade as well, was it? Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm trying to think, I, I think yeah. Black Crusade was the first one that bought in Auto- that, that auto fail in 91 or above. Yeah, I don't remember if it was 91 or above or if it was a higher number. It might be 96 or something ridiculous okay. like that. Oh, but only, only war it's 91 or above. Yeah. So, um, and don't forget that even if you fail the roll, it's still possible to generate psychic phenomena. Yeah, uh, and of course the thing I always say with um, uh, whenever I'm running a game and someone, someone channels their power, they, uh, they 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 get doubles. I always say make sure that you resolve the psychic phenomena first, because the psychic phenomena may impact the power. Yeah. So even if you've succeeded, you roll psychic phenomena. The, the, it may say the power affects the psychic instead. Yeah. You know, or something like that, or it, it, the, the power doesn't go up, but something else happens. You know, so you always make sure you resolve the psychic phenomena before you resolve the actual results of the power. Yeah. Now, when, you're, when your power is opposed, like, for example, you're trying to control someone's mind, um, they get to roll as well, and you're trying to beat their number degrees of successes. You've got the added benefit, though, of course, of the bonuses from your side rating. And the fact that you're a psychist, you've probably got pretty good willpower. That's right, yeah. If you're against an opposing psyker, they have the choice of adding their side rating to the willpower roll to contest it, but then they also run the risk of generating a psychic phenomena on a double as well. Yeah. So you can get two psychic phenomena going off, and everything goes everything goes to pot. Uh, I seem to recall in our uh, one one sort of only war campaign we ran for a few sessions that you know the psychic tried to do something relatively minor in camp one day. I think it was trying to influence someone's mind to help the rattling. And ended up summoning a, ended up summoning a, de- a blood letter into the into the blood first. Sorry, no, the, it was a blood letter. A blood letter. Okay. It was just a blood letter, and we still <laughs> had an awful lot of trouble killing it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was sort of saying to Jim afterwards, like, I don't know. I would think I'm just, you know, fair play aside. I would think any Imperial Guard detachment that suddenly had a blood letter appear in it is going to be subject to some form of sanction by the by the Imperium after that's happened and such, you know. Yeah. We're not just going to go, whoops, apocalypse, you know. That was that was a problem, but, you know, medal, for, good. Yeah, medal, medal for, for, for diligent service, guys, on you go. But uh, anyway. I, I got a medal in that scene for killing multiple uh, companions to, to help everyone else's morale. <laughs> that's right, to save us from the demon. Yes. You're right. Um, uh, now, I think I think remember with your power test is that if a power generates a similar effect, you don't add them together. You always keep the highest. So if one power gives you, you know, a bonus move allowance of three, another gives you a bonus move allowance of four, you get four. You don't add them together. There's no cumulative effects. Uh, some powers have to be sustained. When you sustain a power, any future psychic phenomena rolls that you add, that you roll, add plus ten per, for the power, the power you're sustaining. And you also reduce your effective psi rating by one. Yes. Uh, now, there's also a few special rules. Psychic bolts, any power defined as a psychic bolt, can be dodged because it is effectively a projectile. Uh, psychic barrages are treated just like a semi auto burst. Uh, psychic storms are treated just like a full auto burst. Yep. Uh, and they can hit multiple opponents, obviously, as well. And psychic blasts are uh, treated like blast weapons, basically. Yeah. Uh, now, this system does break powers down into categories. So, biomancy, pyromancy, etc. 
however, unlike Dark Heresy First Edition, there's no progression need... tree. Yeah, well, there's no need to buy into a discipline. You can yeah. you can just pick and choose powers from wherever you want as such. They just the I guess the disciplines are there just to keep the powers grouped into sort of similar power types as well. Um, with that being said, a lot of powers have prerequisites. Those prerequisites will often be statistics or attribute requirements, side-rating requirement, or already having existing power. So they do tree as such because some powers require earlier powers. They just don't have that same sort of tree structure that you see in Dark Heresy 2nd Edition. Yeah, it's not quite as rigid. That's it. Uh, now, each power also has its own individual cost. So it's not, it's not derived from aptitudes like some some other systems. Yep. So uh, effectively, you look at the power; it's got the the finite cost: one hundred XP, two hundred XP, etc. For that for that power. Yeah. Um, There's also the section on uh, minor powers. Oh yes, yep. you can spend some XP to have something that you can do that's very minor, such as lighting a cigarette with your finger, making little glowing lights appear. That they're not particularly anything other than a cost of XP and something you can. Do it a whim. They're like your D&D cantrip almost. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And, and actually, I, I think this is one of the better ways of doing minor powers. Because sometimes you have to show that you're a psyker. Without, you, without the risk of summoning a bloodletter. Yeah. Without having to, you know, control someone's mind or, or rip a book apart with your, your mind or whatever it is. That's it. So, I mean, that's really it for the only war psychic system. As I said, very much derivative from, from Black Crusade. Changed okay. substantially... From, um, we're going into uh, uh, Dark Age Second Edition. Uh, I find it funny because if you had to look at all the systems and say these two systems are the most compatible, I would say they are Black Crusade and Only War. Yes, except for the fact that the characters are pretty not very compatible. Not at all. <laughs> but it's virtually the same system. It is, it. and I think it's interesting to look at the psychic system in particular and look at it from. Dark Heresy 1st Edition, completely different. Yeah. Then Rogue Trader, which changed it massively. Yes. And then it's only changed slightly up until it gets to to Only War. Yeah. And I think Only War, Black Crusade, is probably the, the cleanest. So that's one you prefer? Because, I mean, going into Second Ed now, you've got the situation where Psy rating is actually... Um, a, a higher Psy rating makes the power harder to pull off. So yeah, it's, what, what's your preference in that sort of area? Yeah. Um, Personally, I'd rather see the high psi rating makes the power easier to pull off, but have the damage and whatever related to something other than the psi rating. Okay. So maybe related to the willpower of the character. A stronger will lets them do more damage. The psi rating makes it easier to cast. I would have preferred something a bit more like that, somewhere in between, rather than, you know, oh, I have a psi rating of 10, which makes me one of the most powerful psychers in the world, except for the fact that if I ever use powers of that ability... I can't actually cast anything because of the massive penalty to my roll. Yeah, okay. Which, completely opposite of canon. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Unless they bring something out to balance that, they're always going to have that problem. That's it. All right. And I remember, um, Invocation wasn't in, really in, only what was it? No. No, that, that was, that was no that Invocation's yeah. Dark Heresy first and, edition. And Rogue Trader. I Rogue Trader. Trader. I think yeah. they kept it in Rogue Trader. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyway, so that, that's that's a psychic system, and and so you're, I would say so. By the time you got to Only War, that was really probably your favourite, really the cleanest one. Yeah, yeah. Not not not. I mean, I don't think there's anything really wrong with the with the Dark Heresy Second Edition one. It's just a case no, of it's different, and it's different in ways that. Yeah, yeah. It, it just means that you have to run the game a little bit differently if you're a psyker. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I've never played a psyker in any of these settings. 
Yeah. I think you've played a psyker in every one of these settings. I haven't played a psyker in only war. Okay. Oh, that's right, because you only played a commissar. Yeah. I only played a commissar. And, and you don't play a psyker in Rogue Trader either, have you? So, nah. No. Okay, no. well. <laughs> Move point. You, play, you, you definitely played a librarian. You definitely played a sorcerer. I've played a navigator in Rogue Trader, which is close enough. Okay, no worries. All right. <laughs> Way to offend everyone. Let, let, let's actually... Okay, what I want to do, we'll, we'll talk more about psychics in the next section because I want to talk about how psychics apply specifically to Only War from a contextual point of view as well, but that, that'll fit in with the class. Yeah. So let's move on. All subsequents report to the administrator for career assignment. All right, the sanctioned psyker support specialty for Only War. Um, mm-hmm. Now let's talk about, first off, uh, what is the role of the sanctioned psyker in, in Only War? I think, first off, the reason that you would put a psyker into a, a military squad like this is to provide some form of additional combat functionality that conventional troops can't supply. Yeah. And a bit later I want to talk about what those sort of various options are depending upon the psychic powers that they use. And it does give a level of protection as well. And certainly, yeah. It protects you from potentially psychic enemies. Um, you know, there, there are a lot out there. And I guess also um, it helps you, with, helps you detect the presence of psychic things as well. So, you know, the average... Imperial Guard unit isn't going to know what they stumbled across if they come across something that is of the warp. But having a psyker there will let them know that there is something, you know, that we should not be dealing with here. Yeah. We should be calling in someone more qualified to help us deal with this situation. Okay. Um, now, they get a comrade. They are one of the support specialists who gets a comrade. The comrade is called the Overseer. And unlike most comrades, uh, this comrade cannot step up and be the player character if the player character is killed because they are not a psyker themselves. Yes. The overseer is basically an individual assigned by the uh, Scholastica Psychana uh, that basically is there to make sure that if this character um, accidentally pushes themselves too far and is subject to demonic possession, that there's someone there to put a, a round at the back of their head and ensure they can't do any more harm to the rest of the squad. The rest of the squad, basically. Yeah. So um, I, I do like the concept of the overseer in the system. I, I like the fact that it basically gives you the ability to 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 effectively re-roll or block psychic phenomena because they step in and pretty much stop them from going off. Um, but that, like I said, you, you can't just say, okay, well, here's my weapon specialist. I got killed in combat. Okay, well, for the rest of the round, I will play the weapon specialist comrade who is also a weapon specialist. You know, here, this is just a guy with a gun ready to shoot me in the back of the head in case I look like I'm going to do something that is too, too naughty. Yes. Yeah, so... But, you know, handy to have along as well. And, and still, they're a character, you know. They've been trained by the, Scholastica, by the Scholastica Psychana, so they are not just like any other grunt. You know, you can have fun portraying them as what they are to the other players as well, if you are playing or role-playing your comrades as well. Yep. All right, when it comes to building the Sanctioned Psyker, I've decided to um, break our conventional mould here. Whenever we talk about Psychers, we always say, okay, it's characteristics, willpower first, then intelligence and perception. I have chosen to drop intelligence down the list because I don't necessarily think that a combat psyker is built around knowledge and law and you know and tactics. You know, it, it, this goes back to the how psychers are divvied out when they're sanctioned at the end. Yes, some of them who are particularly intellectual are sent away to go study things, work for the Inquisition. Do all that sort of stuff. Ones which have a raw ability to rip people into little pieces, but may not be too bright, yes. <laughs> go to the Imperial Guard. That's right, yeah. And, and of course, part of the concept is that, using the regular rules, you would expect that your cycle originally came from the same homeworld 
as the rest of your unit because or a very know, similar home or a very similar home. that's right unless you want to use the um the multiple homeworld options from um yeah. shoot of humanity but uh or emperor one of those two uh but yeah yeah expectations they come from at the base of the same type of home world so if you've got a penal legion they are a psycho from a penal world basically yeah uh so willpower still definitely you know a first that's probably, that's probably the driving thing I think perception is going to be key because they are, I said, a, a, a big part of their power is divination, is spotting psychic phenomena, is realizing when they're, when they're going to be on a psychic attack. I think the perception is probably an important one. But next, I'd say probably weapon skill. You know, they are, they are a, they're a combatant at the end of the day. You know, they, they're in a frontline squad, you know, especially you often see in the miniatures war game, the psychers sit in the command squad, which is usually more melee weapon focused you know um, and, and of course psychers get the benefit of having force weapons which are which are great with uh, with your willpower so I mean you may choose to go ballistic skill as well but I think probably you want to try and put the combat skills up there I would have considered toughness to be here yeah at this point yeah okay I would have thought that they'd be more sort of able to withstand the rigors okay yeah I, I still went the other way because I, 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 I put agility next okay. um, on the concept of uh, r- rather than being you know tough more being, you know, um, su- survivable through, I don't know, through no, to, to be honest, by this stage, by the time you've got past willpower and perception, you can put whatever you want, wherever you want. <laughs> That's it, yeah. yeah. The, they really are a... I won't say they're a one-trick pony, but yeah. the, the best weapon they have is, is their psychic we- power. That's right, yeah. So, you know, whether you go ballistic skill or weapon skill, that you know, then when are they ever going to... Sh- okay. You can rip someone apart with your brain... Or you can shoot them with your flashlight. I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do? Okay, so I guess you have the situations maybe where the GM might say, okay, in this particular environment, either psychic powers are nullified, or you know, the so close to the warp that any psychic power is going to generate psychic phenomena. You may end up in a situation where you know you have to rely on something else. So it's good to have a backup. Yes, you are right. And under most circumstances, yeah, it's not like you have a certain number of psi points or a certain number of spells per day. You can continue th- hurling you know bolts of lightning from your head as long as you want you know, as long as your group is prepared to sustain the the risks associated with yeah, that until something removes your head yeah. yes that's it okay so skill wise not a lot here i went with um awareness sonician's obviously been the two sort of perception based skills i also put down scrutiny um mainly because i thought that it may behoove a sanctioned psyker to realize when somebody else may be acting under influence as such of somebody yeah. so i thought that might, that might fit in there too um i think intimidate because they are a bit removed from their comrades they you know they are they are an unnatural thing as such so i think the ability to intimidate I, people I would come naturally yeah um if you're going weapon skill then probably parry is a good is a good skill to go along with too i'd say probably parry and dodge at some stage because you know if you're blasting lightning bolts out of your forehead you're going to draw fire you're going to draw fire yeah <laughs> Uh, and last thing I said was um, probably just Forbidden Law of the Warp if you're going to go with any law skills yeah Forbidden Law of the Warp or Forbidden Law Psychers Psychers yeah, that's yeah just... I mean that sort of thing you're not going to have loads of laws I wouldn't think yeah they don't, they don't really train they don't really train Imperial Guard Psychers in demonology it's just that you rec- <laughs> it's not hard to recognise that's probably a demon yeah we should probably shoot it yeah, yeah so, exactly yeah, they're not know. really investigation heavy they're heavy artillery that's it all right, so uh, talent-wise, um, I thought as far as combat talents go, really probably as combat sense, yep. yeah, especially if you have a high perception, let's use your perception for initiative instead. Um, 
favoured by the warp. Let's you roll twice for your psychic phenomena. That's always a good one for psychics to have. Uh, I did think foresight here. Um, I don't always go foresight with a non-intelligence based character because it is it does have an intelligence aptitude requirement. But I think that um, he said they're not too smart necessarily. So to sit down and actually think about something to get a benefit, I think does fit in. Then you've got your standard resistant psychic powers, which gives you plus ten to resist psi powers. That gives you access to strong-minded, which lets you reroll failed tests to resist psychic powers, which then opens up warp conduit, where you can spend a fate point uh, to gain additional one d five psi rating at the cost of adding thirty to any psychic phenomena roll, um, and also warp lock, which allows you once per session to ignore a psychic phenomena, yeah. but at the same time you also take d five damage to your head, not so well by armor or toughness. Yeah. So, um, yeah, quite good there. And then lastly, just Warp Sense lets you use um, your Sunday Sense as a free action. Otherwise, it's whatever combat abilities you, you feel fits the way you plan to use the combat of your character as such. And, of course, most of your points will be going into buying Psychic Powers and, and Psy Rating, basically. Indeed. Now, there are no advanced specialties yet for Imperial Psychers, uh, for Sanctioned Psychers. That, yeah, I suspect if they do end up doing another only war book, the next one will probably be the book which covers the support specialties which haven't yet had additional stuff put in, but uh, so far, nothing Com- yet. For yeah, the, for the Commissile Psychers. That's it. If we see another only one book, I'm not sure. Yeah. Wait and see. Okay, so when it comes to playing a sanctioned psycho, here's what I wanted to get to earlier, is thinking about the functionality that your psycho is here to give to your squad, basically. And I've broken it down basically by the various disciplines. So if you're a biomancy heavy psyker then really you are a ultimate single combatant you know so i suppose if your unit is a close-in guerrilla unit or you know someone else expected to overwhelm the enemy you know you want to be the best single fighter you can be this is where biomancy really fits in you know you have that extra ability to to stand alongside your your allies as well yep Divination, I think, is a really big one for combat psychers because this gives you, obviously, some prognosticative ability. You can sort of determine the ebb and flow of battle, look into the future, potentially see um, into an enemy's camp or, or find out until in some other way as such. allows you to help the team or the squad put together its tactics, basically. It gives, it gives the commander access to knowledge they wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah. Uh, pyromancy really is, you know, you're almost replacing the, the squad heavy. You know, you've got the... The, the massive damage range attacks, the air effect attacks, you know, you can really dominate the battlefield with, with your um, pyrokinetics. Uh, telekinesis. I guess some of the telekinesis ones really fit into things like a bit of sort of stealth-based stuff as such. So if you've got like a stealth-based group, you need to manipulate something from a distance and don't want to send a person into the field, potentially the psychic can flip that switch which opens the gate or, you know, relieve a sleeping guard if he's fine or whatever. It make also a, allows, make a rustling bush on the other side of the uh, that's it, clearing. Yeah. Um, it also allows you um, telekinetic protection, so the ability to create a telekinetic shield around your group as well. So yep. some protective ability there too. And um, telepathy, I think probably from a combat point of view, is one of the more useful ones as well because it gives you not only a, an advanced level of communications, and we're talking about communications here which are extremely hard to intercept. You know, like it, it, Uninterceptable. I, yes. Unjammable. <laughs> exactly. Um, but also the ability to potentially read minds, you know, yep. get, gather intelligence. Even, you know, it's all really good to interrogate somebody, but as we've said before on the show, if you put someone through enough pain, they will tell you what you want to hear. 
Whereas, you know, psychic interrogation actually reads information straight from their mind. So, yeah. I, I think it's, it's... Especially in a stealth situation, again, you, you come up towards a camp and you get challenged by a guard with a phrase, you have to give the counter phrase. You can just read their mind and know what it is. Yeah, how'd they work for you in that Black Crusade game, Mike? Yeah, I didn't have the uh, telepathy ability to do that. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it's funny. I've, I've mentioned before on the show, but I've read an article once about the fact that uh, if you look at fantasy combat like in Dungeons & Dragons, fantasy warfare, it's more akin to modern, warfare, modern warfare than it is to historical warfare. Oh, because yeah. Instant communication. Yeah, instant communication. Aerial combat. Yeah, artillery, etc. You know. Air support. Um, and it's funny. I look at these various features of the Psyker in Only War and I think the most useful to me, from, a, from a, thinking about a squad combat point of view, the most useful type of Psyker is the Diviner or the Telepath. Yeah, it's it's not the the heavy combat abilities. Now we've got guys with guns, we've got guys with rocket launchers. You know, um, you know what we need is you know, advanced communication techniques. You know, the ability to to read our enemy's mind or the ability to gather intelligence where we just can't be. Yeah, but they almost to me seem like the most useful powers because you can take any as a character, you can take any smattering of these powers as well. But you might want to think about what versatility. Don't just think about what's going to make my character the biggest combat wombat. You know, think about what's going to add the most functionality and versatility to my group, basically. Um, and I guess the last thing to think about as a sanctioned psyker in only war group is, remember that you are something of an outsider. You know, the, the rest of the group should role-play around the fact that you are a bit different. You know, you might have been a, a squad together for ages, but there's always that little risk with your character that one day you may push that psychic power a little bit too far, you know, and they they'd be right to be a little bit scared of that, you know, and, and yeah. you'd be right to maybe remind them that you're not just the same as one of the, you're not just one of the guys, you know. Yeah. So, anything you want to say on the sanctioned psycho? Not particularly. Okay, then. Let's, no. let's move on. I, I think it covered everything there. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium. Stand by to receive orders. So, for a plot hook, rather than my usual sort of, I guess, verbose plot hook, what I've got here is a concept that... Uh, a friend of mine likes to call the enemy if my enemy is still just this guy. Yeah. Uh, and this is, what I'm alluding to here now is uh, helping or being helped by Xeno. Uh, it's something we see a lot in 40k in various formats. For whatever reason, sometimes the Imperium finds themselves in a situation where they have to work with a Xeno of some type for mutual benefit. Um, most commonly, it's the Elvar, but it's also happened with Tau. Yep. Um, as in like the Firewire computer game. Um, it's happened with Orcs sometimes in the past as well. Uh, I think there's even t- times where I've seen Imperial Forces work alongside Chaos in order to prevent an even bigger Chaos, which we had even in my uh, in my Dark Heresy campaign. We had actually um, yep. Chaos Forces approach the PCs to assist them because they wanted to prevent other Chaos Forces from basically taking over, and it was for mutual benefit. Um so I think that uh, in, in an only war game, there are opportunities at some points to give your PCs the opportunity to potentially work alongside a Xenos NPC for mutual benefit. Uh, I can see, for example, um, the player characters encountering, say, an Eldar Pathfinder, who um, but, you know, the player characters need something, the Pathfinder is also after something, and they both realize individually that they lack the resources to obtain it, and so therefore the Xeno approaches them and basically says, you know, if we have this temporary truce, we can both get what we want. 
you know, and, and see how the players go. I think it's a good way to introduce new players of the setting to the concept of the imperial attitude towards Xenos. Yeah. Because especially when, you know, it was like Eldar who basically have a very human look about them. And most people tend to assume, oh, yeah, they're elves, they must be, they must be good, you know. And in many ways, you can almost look at, you know, from the outside looking in, that the Imperium is all sort of more evil than the Eldar are in the 40k setting. Although if you look into the Eldar more deeply, you'll find they've also got some pretty, pretty nasty, shady, pretty yeah. nasty ways as well. But anyway, um, you know, for the uninitiated 40k player, you know, the deal of working alongside a space elf might seem pretty good, you know, and so therefore you can give the player characters the exposure that way. There's, in terms of doing this, there's two things I say that you should keep in mind if you're going to have the player characters work alongside Xenos. Um, okay, well, no, three things, three things. First off, they should probably, when it, when it gets back to their commanding officers, they have done so, there should be some serious chastisement of, of some type. Whether they accomplish their goal or not, you know, working with the dirty Xeno, you know, should be something that is, is never encouraged and is always frowned upon. Yes. Um, secondly, you should uh, try and make sure that one side invariably ends up betraying the other. You know, that working alongside, you know, Xenos should never be something that ends up truly to everyone's benefit. You know, the Eldar work alongside the humans only in so far as is required to achieve their goals, after which point the humans become superfluous to them as well. So um, try and make sure that uh, that some sort of betrayal occurs so that uh, the player characters realise that, you know, the... Um, you know, the, 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 maybe this wasn't the best idea as such and maybe we should be more cautious in the future uh, and lastly always want to make sure you really play out the alien nature uh, we spoke about this before with the um, elder NPC that appears in Forgotten Gods yep. um, but yeah they did a fantastic job there of really making this character seem not human you know, their, their wants, their ways, the, the way they operate is just not human and you want to make sure that you don't just portray Eldar, for example, as humans with pointy ears, you know, in different armor. You need to make sure that you put, you know, you really show off the alien nature of the way they think and the way they act. But just some thoughts anyway. You know, there's plenty of Xenos in the universe and um, plenty of opportunities to have your player characters not just shoot at them, but work alongside them for some mutual benefit until one side betrays the other. Unless so. there's a commissar in your group. In which, in which case, pretty much, yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless your commissar is extremely lax. <laughs> All right, let's move on. He's, he's only a commissar on, on, on weekdays. That's, yeah. On the weekends, he's just a dude. Yeah, he's a commissar on a penal legion. You know, yeah. <laughs> Revere the Omnissia, for it is the source of all power. Okay, so Mike, for uh, the war gear, you wanted to talk about that most venerable of melee weapons... The power sword. Yes. Yes. What, what, what is it that drew you to the power sword? Um, well, I, I suppose it's the fact that, generally speaking, your average Imperial Guardsman is only ever going to see these ones when it's chopping them in half or in the hands of their commanding officer. Um, you can get hold of it, obviously. It's just that this is a prestige weapon. This is top-of-the-line Malay combat gear. Um I suppose we should really talk about what a power weapon is. Yeah. So it's a normal sword. And it can, can be used as such as well. It can be used as such without turning on the power field. But it has a power field, which is a mystical high technology, which lets it 
No, crackle with electricity and energy and carve through armor, tanks, people exceptionally easy. Yeah, this is, I mean, you go back to role playing games and say the cyberpunk counterculture, for example, and you, you come across things like monofilament wire, this, this concept of something that is so thin it fits between the molecules or something, you know. Yeah, and it just carves yeah, and, it. And, and a power field is defined as an object, or an object, but a power field itself is powerful enough to split apart the component molecules of an object as such so that really it's it's hardness has little little impact on on the the stopping the weapon as such yeah Yeah. so very hard to get hold of weapon obviously um it's a good weapon i certainly think that it's worth getting hold of if your character is a malay specialist and you can somehow swing it to get hold of the damn thing um high damage d10 plus five High penetration, five, it's balanced. It's very rare, unfortunately. Um, so even though in the tabletop war game you see every second model has a damn thing, uh, they are actually exceptionally hard to get. I, I mean, if you look at Imperial Guard, it's very there are not many Imperial Guard characters with a, with a power with a power sword. There are more Imperial Guard characters with a power fist. You know, they're usually commissars, but most most um, Imperial Guard sergeants will end up with a chainsaw and that's it. You know, yeah. So. So, prestige weapon, you can maybe get hold of one. Um, certainly worthwhile getting hold of if you can. If you do get hold of one, probably the GM should roleplay up the fact that this is a rare item, possibly with a name, a lineage, a history. It's something that other characters are going to look at with awe. Yep. This is the sort of thing Covet, that, even. Yes, yeah. this is the sort of thing that only officers usually have. Um, all that sort of stuff. I, I could see you doing, for example, a... Um... Uh, when you build your legion, you could. I think one of the um, background word options is highborn. Yeah. Yeah. You could literally have a, a you know a legion that are raised from the nobles as such, and so yeah, it would be. It wouldn't be out of the question for the commanding officer of that legion to have something as prestigious as a, a family power sword as such yeah. that they carry in the battle. Even the sergeants, even the individual soldiers, possibly could if you have the vast amount of points to spend on the uh, on the unit options. Yep. To, to to equip everyone with a power sword. Yeah, it could certainly fit as well. Yep, that's it. Or the Minotaurum influence, talent, yes. for example. So. Just remember, yeah. as the book says, this a one-handed Malay weapon. <laughs> so you, I noticed, Mike, that you found a number of pretty mistakes in all the melee weapons on the book. Yeah, every single Malay weapon is missing the word is. <laughs> so, you know, your power fist, a one-handed Malay weapon. You know, Warhammer, this a two-handed Malay weapon. <laughs> But we're not going to go into this. We've, we've already talked about no, editing in any role-playing game is, is not high on the list. That's right, yeah. At least, at least it doesn't refer to page XX. Yes. <laughs> That's it. All right, let's move on. Okay. My lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. So we're starting to run a bit low on books and things to review for the various uh, settings. Yes. And uh, what I realized was there's a whole treasure trove of things we haven't reviewed yet which are actually downloadable materials for the books and so for only war today i decided to do a review of salvaging solace now you probably don't know what salvaging solace is do you mike i have no, no idea. idea okay so uh gen con 2013 uh this was sort of at the height of the these uh, we've just released only war recently um you know they were still they had the uh, i think the beta out at this point in time for dark Heresy second edition they decided to basically create four books, or four, four modules for the, for the con. One for Rogue Trader, one for Death Watch, one for Black Crusade, one for Only War. Okay. And all four modules were independent stories 
that all told about the same event from different points of view. Uh, so, you know, if, if you, there wasn't really any, any spoilers. So it wasn't like a case of you went and played one and then played another. You go, oh, I know what's going to happen next because I played. It's almost like they, um, there's almost like there's a sequence, you know, something happens in one, which leads on to what happens in the next as such, you know? So, yeah. uh, but without major spoilers as such and salvaging solace is the story for only war. And I would say that. If you know, if there was some sort of order for it, this is probably the final, or potentially, yeah. You know, I say this is probably the final, the final part of the story as such. It makes sense that we're reviewing it first, then. That's right. Yes, <laughs> and we'll cover. The, well, that's it. the stories are independent anyway. But, but okay. Uh, the uh, the we'll talk about others in future episodes as well. Uh, so in Salvaging Solace, the player characters are it's because it's a con module. It's got pre-made characters. Yep. It has a lot of pre-made characters. I think it's got um, six or seven. As they always tend to do, it's got more support specialties than it has base. So I think it's got a weapon specialist and an operator and a sergeant. But then it's also got a rattling sniper and a commissar and a sanctioned psyker and a priest. You know, so... Um, <laughs> anyway, but... Uh, Sounds like a balanced squad. <laughs> balanced, exactly. Yeah, but anyway. So the story is: so these these characters are members of the Cadian 99th, yep. which has recently been all almost completely wiped out during a recent encounter, like seventy percent losses. And so, what they've decided to do is merge the Cadian 99th with a existing um, battalion on a planet called Solus. You know, use that to, to recruit the numbers. Except because of a clerical error, um, the unit they were sent to basically um, merge with merge with hasn't yet been created. So at, at the point the game starts off, they're literally training new recruits to, so they can actually re- refill their numbers and such. Uh, so I, I quite like the fact it's got the little, that little um, little hit against the administratum or the department immunitorium for screwing up. But uh, it does say that you could play this game with your own characters if you've got you know if you wanted to there's a few caveats one they've got to be on solace you know you've got to have a reason to be on solace training training rookies effectively two this is a as a con module it's very unsurvivable you know like the the i would say that the likely outcome of this con module would be that most characters would die at the end some characters may live there's three outcomes. Either they completely fail. Or we'll come to this when we get to the, the module, basically. But they either completely fail, um, they succeed but mostly die, um, or they succeed but some 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 all, all get out as such. But I would say that... Heavy the, losses is... Heavy losses is most, to be expected as such. Um, the NPC... Well, NPC. So the PCs built for the module are built with 1,000 XP. So they are above um, normal... Starting characters. characters. It does specify that Obviously, this module is designed to be run with the book. And my one concern is that the character sheets they give you have quite a few talents, quite a few, you know, the psychic powers are in there for the psyker as well. They all just say refer to page blah. So, you know, you've got to be constantly passing around the book so people who aren't familiar with the system have to look up all of what their talents do and remember what they do or make little notes. They know this is what I need to do. You know, it would have been nice being designed to be a con module if they had a, like a quick description of each talent. You know, next to it as well, but yeah, that's just the way it is. Okay, so game starts off. The group are basically in a hive on this world of Solace, and 
the first part of the module, they say, should take about 45 minutes because it's designed to be run as a sort of four to five hour con slot. And, and this is really designed to give people who are unfamiliar with Only War or the system in general a feel for the system. The idea is that the player characters are the sort of the superior military force here, training rookies. They've created sort of like a scenario where there is a fortification that the player characters hold and the rookies are sort of going through this um, obstacle course trying to fight their way to take the fortification. This is the training that they're doing as such. And everyone's been given powered down las carbines and that sort of stuff. And it's like a training scenario. You know, powered down, but still... They, they still do 1d10 plus 1 damage, you know. So um, effectively uh, tagging somebody... It's got like a point system, like, like it's a, a game, you know. So tagging one of the rookies is one point. Killing a rookie by mistake, is minus five points, you know. So it, it very much reminds me of uh, the training scene in Starship Troopers. Yeah. Yes. Someone takes their helmet off, get it. <laughs> exactly right, yes. Uh, and really, it's just a, I guess, a, 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 a combat scenario designed to get the characters familiar with, with only war. There's no real danger. Uh, it's just, you know, here's the system, here's how the rules work, etc., etc. Um, but then everything changes, and there is a... Massive crash, you know, cataclysmic event. The floor of the hive rips open. You know, the lights, all the power goes out, and they have no idea what's going on. And what is going on is that a void ship has just crashed into the side of the hive. So, which is, I'm sure you can imagine, not a good thing. No. Yeah. And it's and it's void shields wrapped at the time as well. So the void shields have done additional damage to the hive walls. They've come through as well. And, and from this point in this game. It's like uh, watching the film Gravity. You know, it's like it never lets up. There is, there is from this point. There is no further respite. It is just constant action, 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 all the way. Like you know, your, your, your players will be on the edge of their seats because no matter how far they get along resolving any situation, a bigger situation suddenly rears its head as such. You know. Yeah. So first off, they're they're in the dark. You know, people are injured. Uh, they don't know what's going on. You know, the, the, the supposed to basically be a scene where they play out just what the hell do we do? You know, communications are down. The high communications are down. All they've got is their vox, which gives them communication with each other. You know, um, you know, a lot of the recruits are injured. They were in the fortification, which didn't fall through the floor, but parts of the obstacle course did. And you know, once again, their weapons are all powered down. They're trying to get set up, and uh, you know, eventually, uh, a commanding officer gets on the vox and tells them. Something really bad has happened. <laughs> we don't know what yet. You know, something something from space has hit the hive, and the big problem is that most of the hive floor sections are broken open, and we've now got riots going on. So we need you to basically help secure the area that you're in. You know, basically con- get get everyone under control. You know, stop any rioting. Um, you know, people are flying through from various parts of the hive. You know. Just do what you can to get things under control as such. And so the player characters go through all the sort of frenetic ones again in the dark um, with limited resources, limited communications trying to get this under control. And then the command officer radios them and says, um, oh no, um, mutants are spilling out of the underhive and, they, and they're led by literally chaos mutants as well. So we need you to go and stop these chaos mutants from, from invading as such. And uh, it is possible during the earlier scene that the, the player characters may recover a chimera battle uh, tank uh, in which case the force the, the mutant force they fight is significantly larger um, otherwise they face basically a whole bunch of regular mutants plus one very large chaos mutant as such but you know they've got to then deal with the mutants um, 
then they're going to be communication from the commander saying, here's a situation. What hit us is a void ship. Uh, it's crashed into the side of the hive, um, rending a massive hole. Unfortunately, the void ship's engines are still going, still burning. Um, and the, uh, the, the tech priests tell us that they will soon overheat and will self-immolate and pretty much wipe out this hive and everything within a few hundred kilometers. So we need you to go on board the ship, fight your way to the engine, find your way to the engine room, and shut off the engines. Um, so sounds, okay. sounds pretty good. <laughs> sounds pretty good. Okay, so the uh, the group using whether they on foot or with the Chimera make their way to the, to the ship. It does point out that although the ship has sort of gone on a on a very steep angle into the side of the hive, that the ship's grav plate still works. So once the group once the group actually enters the ship, they are still walking normally on the deck plates. Yep. But at this point in time, they discover that the ship itself is actually a hulk that is full of tyranids. Huh. So they now, so they, they find that there's multiple encounters with termagants, gene stealers, and tyranid warriors. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds pretty lethal. <laughs> yeah. Um, as they fight their way to the engine room, um, in the engine room, you basically the situation where they have to do a series of tests, and it's whatever comes first. I think it's. Six successes or 12 failures, um, or a certain amount of time, because every attempt requires a certain amount of minutes. Um, and so every 15 minutes, more Tyranids turn up. So, so you've got some, some characters trying to fight the Tyranids while others are trying to fix it. Um, after 12 failures, the engines go nuclear, everything is absolutely destroyed, or after too much time as well, um, everything is wiped out, you know, game over as such. Um, after a certain number of successes, the engines are shut down. The, there is no more risk as such. The group just has to basically fight their way off the ship. The other problem is because of the damage to the ship um, and the uh, uh, the uh, the engine's condition, there's radiation leaking inside the engine room as well. Oh, okay. So every turn, the carriers are testing or else they start suffering automatic wounds and fatigue and, and may also pass out from fatigue or have you know, long-term repercussions of radiation exposure because every single turn and every like, every turn represents a certain amount of I think it's like five minutes as such and you know you've got you've got to get this you know the six successes or twelve failures as such you know uh, so at the end of the day the that some characters may succumb to radiation poisoning some may succumb to tyranny warriors some yeah can I ask a question yes I take it these are tech use tests to fix the engine yes and there's no tech priest there's in the group. no tech priest in the group. Mm-hmm. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, because they are more experienced characters, you know, and they have, for example, an operator. There are some uh, characters. There are a couple of characters with have, tech use. Right, yes, okay. Yeah, so it is. It is possible. And there are, I think there are other various things that characters can do in the scene. It's climactic scenes. There's various things people can do in order to, you know, enhance each other's abilities and such to do this. But it's a very yeah. substantial scene. Um, yeah, but I said the action just never lets up. <laughs> um, then it goes on to rewards because at the end of the day, you may succeed, you know, and you may be playing this as part of your campaign. You know, you're a jerk GM if you put this game into part of your campaign. Well, but, you, you might know. put it in as the first game of your campaign, <laughs> and then anyone who survives can continue on with um, their radiation sickness and sterility. <laughs> uh, so they get they get um, uh, uh, good experience. It's good experience for it. Um, they can get medals, including posthumously any any character. Who is who lands a killing blow on a tyranid warrior gets a, a medal that gives them a permanent bonus to fighting creatures of a, um, of a certain size or higher. Oh, that's pretty nice. Um, yeah, so um, that's quite good. Plus, because of their brave actions, 
the group gets given two relics. So there's like 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 a named las gun, you know, and, and something else. You know, basically it says, okay, it says in the book that surviving player characters may choose from these relics, and there are two relics. So it, <laughs> I guess it assumes that probably no more than two player characters. <laughs> One player character is going to survive, and they get to choose which relic they get. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it is, I mean, I mean, as a con module, I would be, you know, on the edge of my say, and I'd, I'd be like, okay, guys, I need to go and lo- go back to my hotel room and lie down for a while now after this. This is just, that was just so intense, you know. Um, I like the fact that the narrative of it is quite open. There's no maps of areas. There's no specific encounters like this many of this, this many of this. It's more like, here's just some ideas of how to throw together different scenarios as such. There's no, you know, no map of the ship. No series of rooms I've got to go through. It's just, you know, you've got training area, you know, hive area, um, where mutants attack, onboard ship, engine room, fill in the rest of the details yourself as a GM. You know, you can really have a lot of fun with this as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I certainly think um, out of all four of these models, I have read all four, we'll talk about all four. This is probably um, my favorite one, I would say. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it's just it is it's a, it's a trip, you know. It's a it's it's just go from start to finish, and it would be an insane game to to play and an insane game to run. Oh, okay. uh, but certainly, yeah, like it's probably one of those things where some friends come around on the night and say, "Hey, let's do some role playing. What do we want to play? Oh, I don't know. I don't really feel like starting a new campaign. Let's just do this for one night, you know." Yeah. <laughs> There's again, it doesn't matter if everyone died. It's like it's like um, uh, I I bought an indie indie role playing game um, a couple of years ago called Cold and Dark. Which I would almost describe as Dead Space, the role playing game, you know. Yeah. And, and I looked at it and I said, "This is a game for one shots, you know. This, this is not a, this is not a game for campaign play." And, and we did run one game of that, I think, on our Tuesday night group. And yeah, it was definitely by the by the end of the game, I think most people were dead. One person was permanently insane. You know, it is it is designed to be a, a one shot style game. Yeah. But yeah, but a lot of fun. I, I would certainly, I would give Salvaging Solace. Um, I'm, I'm going to give it uh, probably eight and a half. What, what it was for me was just the 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 action will be slowed down by people having to pick up and, and relook through the books all the time to remind themselves of what their talents, talents and, and, and abilities do as such. Yeah, that's oh, okay. It. So, but definitely a lot of fun anyway. Okay. Okay. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. So for our final discussion, um, this is one we've we've sort of chatted about in various parts before. But I wanted to make a full topic out of it, really. And that is awarding XP in games. Yes. Um, now, I don't just want to talk about the 40k role-playing games here. I want to talk about, you know, games in games general. Games in general. And first thing to note is that there's really, broadly, there's two different types of game settings. Okay? So there are ones that are level-based. You know, you get XP. Eventually, you hit a, a point in XP where your character progresses to the next level. And no real character development happens between those leveling milestones as such, suddenly you hit a level, you know, you get more skills, more abilities, more hit points, whatever it might be. Yeah, D&D. Uh, that's it. Um, or the other style is that you get awarded XP and various things you would want to buy have an XP cost and you buy things as you go, basically. Um, some people have sort of said that Dark Heresy First Ed was a bit like both because it had the different ranks. I, I really say it's it's just a... You know, point by system that just has a mechanic in there which stages when you stages can buy. when you can buy things yes. as such. Yeah, because yeah. it's like controlling there. 
I mean, out of those two systems, Mike, just in general as a player as a GM, do you have a preference? Absolutely, the second. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I prefer to to buy things with the XP as you go, whatever you want to do, rather than save up XP, save up XP. Up, oh, I level. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we spoke about in the past. One of my favourite game settings, but one of the worst game systems I think out there is the game Rifts. Yeah. Um, Rifts is a, a sci-fi setting which has a sci-fi fantasy, almost you might say, um, which has a level-based system. But not only that. You only get new skills at certain levels. So I could be in a situation where, you know, my character really wants to learn to cook, you know, but I'm not going to get a chance to take a new skill for another three more levels. And I want to waste the time on buying cook, you know, or, or something else. Or, you know, it's yeah. just as an example, it, it, it's really harsh in that respect. I mean, leveling systems have their place, um, but I certainly prefer ones where uh, you have XP to spend as such. Uh, which really comes down to how these the 40k games and things work. You get a certain amount of XP. One of the things I've found with these games is that a good amount of XP award varies in my mind from game system to game system. You yeah. know, from from you know Dark Heresy to Road Trader to to Death Watch, etc. Uh, and what I tend to look at is what the average cost of things is. So let's go back to Dark Heresy First Edition. You know, when you're back at rank one, rank two. Most things cost 100 XP. You know, you, you start... Yeah, you start 100, 100 to 200. Yeah, yeah. you started the game with 400 XP, so you could spend... You could buy, you know, three or three to four things at the start. Um, as you got up through the levels, some things started to cost, you know, maybe up to 500 XP. Um, but it wasn't really until you hit Ascension that you've got things with XP costs in the... In the 1,000. 1,500, Okay, let's go over to Rogue Trader next. Very little in Road Trader costs 100. Most things start from 200. Yeah. You know, and then go into 500 as such, you know. Let's look at Death Watch. Pretty much the cheapest things out there start around 400. There are a couple of cheaper things, but, you know, it's around 400. Um, okay, then only War and, and Black Crusade, well, that's going to depend upon your aptitudes. But things can be as cheap as 100. Or something that you really want could be as expensive as 1,000, even for the first rank. Yeah. You know, if, if it's an opposed thing where you have no aptitudes for it as such. So I, I guess it's hard as a GM to decide what sort of XP awards to give. Before I go too far on this path, I want to sort of give you another sort of side thing as well. There are some people who award, when they award XP, they say, this is this XP for this session. Everybody gets, let's say, 1,000 XP, off you go. Some GMs do things like, so, okay, you... You, you role-play really well. You can have 800. You didn't do very much in this game. You get 600. You know, we've certainly played games like this in the past. Yep. Um, we've spoken about... We used to play a lot of White Wolf. And White Wolf had all these various sort of expectations to get experience points. So there was like a basic award just for playing the game. There was a award, for example, if your character had learned or developed or something during the game. And so the GM would often say to the player, tell me how your character has learned or developed this game and if the player couldn't think of anything they were ineligible for that award and I do see a lot of game systems out there still today which say the person who role played the best gets X. X, X extra reward how do you feel about that, things like that I think it's oh, I'm not a fan because it leads to too many people chewing on the scenery mm. you know they ham it up as they start trying to role play every opportunity to try and get that extra one or two XP and other times when you have things like oh Everyone in between us gets to vote who gets the XP up. 
we'll all vote for this person it's in a, the yeah, next or, session. Or make it a round robin, that's yeah, it. Yeah, round robin, in which case, what's the point? Yeah. Um, but by the same token, I think sometimes it's a bit unfair when one character does absolutely nothing for a game session. Like, they're sitting in the corner, playing on their phone, barely getting involved, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and yet they still get exactly the same reward as someone who really, really raises the bar and really works hard and is willing to sacrifice something on their character to help the whole group as a whole because... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the problem with the person being distracted on their phone, that's probably a whole other issue, though, as well. Yeah. yeah but, uh, I mean, certainly, one of my problems I see... Uh, and Okay, so we go, we go to conventions um, quite a bit, and in Australian conventions, it's, it's relatively common for gems to give trophies to good players and such, you know. Yeah. And I observe that usually people that get the most trophies are the loudest people. Yes. Yeah, um, because you know, the you know, squeaky wheel gets the oil. Um, I, I, I hate it when I see a situation where a person role plays a character really well because the character they've chosen to portray is a quiet character. You know, for whatever reason, they are a character who is not... Yeah, you know, um, outgoing, or whatever you know, and they they role play a socially awkward person really, really well. But what that means is that they say less or they do less, and that means that they get less floor time. And and suddenly you find gems giving them less experience points because oh well, you really didn't role play as such. But you know, you you, you really well role played a you know a, a, a quiet character. So overall, I think it's probably just going to be easiest to give everybody the same XP award as such. I think that, yeah, I mean... You might want to give everyone the same as a base yep. and then maybe vary it by 100 to 200 or, or a little bit, not yeah. a lot of variation. What I've actually done in the past sometimes as well is I'll sometimes make it so that a particular game is about a particular character. You know, like at the end of the day, uh, they get to be in the limelight for this particular game. And what I'll do is I'll actually give that character a bit more XP for that game because at the end of the day, it really was about them. But I'll make sure that everybody gets their game, their time in the spotlight, their extra XP award, so it still keeps it relatively even as well. Yeah. I mean, one thing we spoke about in the past as well is if you've got people who don't make it along to a game, do you give them experience, like keep the group... Or when or not, or someone joins a game halfway through, do you, how much do you, give them, yeah. do you start them off at the if same point? If someone's character dies, do you let them come back with a character with the same XP, etc., etc.? I think, to a large extent, it depends upon the system as it well. It does. So, for example, with the Star Wars game we've been playing on Tuesday nights, I don't think that's a system where there is a big difference between a character with high XP and low XP, or at least in the I levels that we're playing. Well, I think there is. Okay, let me rephrase that, sorry. A brand new combat focused character will still be more combat capable than a non-combat focused character who has 300 XP on them as such yeah. focus on non-combat skills yeah, that, that's fine I think it's less noticeable than something like D&D where if you've got a 5th level, level character turn up with a bunch of level 13s they yeah. go off to fight a dragon the 5th level they're not even going to be able to hit the damn thing let alone do any real damage to it or that's it. Play any actual part in the game. Um, so, yeah, I think it's less noticeable than that. Um, I mean, so when I, so I've run two long campaigns in the 40k setting. So one was uh, um, Dark Heresy game for about five years, and the other was the Road Trader campaign we did. So in both of these, what I did was I set, after each year of play, I said, okay, this is the new 
low benchmark. You yep. know, so if somebody comes and joins the game now, they will be joining the game at this point here. It's still lower than the lowest character, but it's still high enough to be um, involved. Uh, to be involved as such, you know. And if for some reason I had a person who, so say for example, I was doing this with um, with Dark Heresy, I said, okay, um, for, so in the, in the second year it had to be at least rank four. Okay, so if there was a character who'd only made it to two or three sessions and only had a few XP. I at least ranked them up to the minimum rank as well that a new crate would be at and said, look, obviously they've had adventures outside of what the group's been doing. That's why they are now more powerful than they were as such and tried to keep it even. Because I remember at first, I tried to just sort of have characters join at starting XP. And then we had, um, I think it was Lee who's been on the show before, joined several times. Um, she's been on the show several times. She joined the game, made a character and said that she felt really far behind the rest of the group you know so I was like okay clearly well, I have to do something about yeah, this yeah when she had to spend half of starting XP on being able to read and write like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true uh, and, you know, same again with the with the Road Trader game I made sure that there was a, like a minimum benchmark from year to year so that as new players joined they could be competitive with but not you know get a leg up on necessarily people who'd put the time in and played the game long term to get the XP basically yeah um so, and I do think that this is a setting where you can, you don't need every single person to be on the exact same XP for it to be fair. No, I don't you know, think so. There needs to be a relatively close, close gap as such. Yeah. Um, all right. So coming back to how much XP I give in in these game things or in, in game things in general, when talking about a game setting where uh, you spend points on things, I try to make sure that. I give everybody enough experience that if they wanted to, they could buy something every single game. Yeah, it might be it might be the cheapest thing. So, say for example, I'm doing Dark Heresy, and your average thing costs a hundred or two hundred or maybe up to five hundred. Then an XP award or a session of say four hundred points is going to let them buy one, two, maybe even three small things, or else they start saving up for a bigger thing. Yeah. If I was to give four hundred XP in Death Watch, then you'd almost have to go every two games just to buy a single 500 point advance. You know, so in Death Watch, I, I'd probably have to give a bit more, like maybe six or seven or maybe 800 XP. So you could buy a 500 point thing, or that you could save, you know, after two sessions, you could buy a 1,000 and a 500 point thing separately. You know? I think the GM's power level expectation should play a major part in this as well. If you're playing a game where you want the uh, the oppositions to be greater demons, and you want them blowing up demon engines and battling their way through entire swarms of tyranids and killing carnifexes. Giving them five hundred XP and then trying to throw them into that after the third game, you're just going to end up with a bunch well, of dead characters. Let's look at the example of my friend Matt's um, Black Crusade game. So, yep. so at the end of the day, he only really wanted to run a six or so session game. Yep. Um, that had a lot of downtime between sessions and it was basically the character's rise to power to the point of apotheosis as such. Yep. And we're now at the point where you know some characters are very, very close. Now, I think we've got a total of about 9,000 XP. Um, no, it's not that much. Okay, I thought... Uh, but hold on a second. You're keeping in mind that you've got a... You've, you start off with a... Yeah. With a... Um, advanced advanced career. I, I think it's like above... From the zero point... Thing where, where your starts with well, they start with like, still about five, yeah, about five thousand, yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. So, so, it's, so it's I think I think, I think, we've, I think we've received about a thousand per session, yeah, and there, and, we, and we've done like four to five sessions where we've received. So I think it's like the total XP 
including the start, like the, the what's including the base character as such is about nine thousand. And, and I guess maybe I, w- I would almost think that a character at that point in the campaign, if you were playing it like regularly and doing you know uh, you know taking years to get to the point of apotheosis, would probably have more XP. Um, but it still seems to me it's working against what we come up against. We're not coming up against opponents that are yeah. completely yeah, well, out of whack. You know, that, that's what I'm trying to say is that it depends what the GM's aiming to do. If they want to have you f- as your you know Death Watch team fighting against Carnifexes and Hive Tyrants, they're going to have to be of a higher level grade before they can start doing that. And if you've got this fantastic storyline to do that, you may even want to start them off at a closer level to that than rather than going, okay, starting from the beginning, I'm going to give you 500 XP a game. Works out that in nine months, you can start the storyline that I've actually got planned. So yeah. until then, we're going to do a whole bunch of filler crap that not even <laughs> I care about. That's it. Because you, you can get the, the opposite problem as well, where you give out too much XP and... You know, your group just becomes so uber powerful that you know you, you're having to throw in ridiculously um, powerful combatants just to give them a challenge. Yeah. You know, when the, the you're game fighting wasn't... against corn armed with twin bloodthirsters, <laughs> just because you can't use that powerful such so it will actually give you a challenge. Oh no, um, sorry, sorry, my favourite one. What was it? The uh, Inquisitor armed with two um, conversion beamers with yeah, pistol con- grips. Con- yeah, conversion with pistol grips. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's it. So, I mean, it, it does come down to... You have to think about the, the length of the campaign you want to run. The, I guess the power level that you want to get to as well. Like, I mean, I, I ran a, a long-running um, uh, 3.5 D&D game where I wanted the characters to basically reach um, what the game considers god level as such, you know. So get past level 30, you know, get past epic levels, get to the point where they had stats similar to the deities book as such so they could challenge some of the deities of the Forgotten Realms at the time and it, I had to plan that that was a multi-year campaign it had to be because it would not feel right to to get that far in a short term campaign I, I'm, I'm going to allude to a, uh, I went and recently saw the film um, um, Agent 47 which is the, the, the new Hitman movie Yeah, and um, I, I, I enjoyed the film but what I thought was this would be a great TV series what it lacks as a film is the fact that the characters had to develop too fast. There were some really interesting character development, but when it happens in an hour and a half, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah people just don't change like that, you know, as such. From I hate you, and then after two days, they're in love. Oh, in this case, it was more like from from meek wallflower to um, you know, hardened assassin, as such. You know, um, in in forty eight hours. <laughs> but uh, look, I, I said I enjoyed the film, but I said it would have been more believable as a, as a series where the characters develop over time as such so you got to think about the length of the campaign you want to run the point you want to get to and what's an acceptable level of XP to get there and also so the other major consideration is what's going to keep the carries interested if they've got to wait three sessions just to buy something they want and then wait three more sessions for the next it's going to get start to get quite tiresome um, even with games where there is a leveling system in place like Dungeons and Dragons I, I, I personally try to not go more than two or three games between leveling the character, yeah, you know, in, in fact, it, with a first level character in a D and D game, I basically say the first game is just there to get you to level two. You know, you will level in the first game so that you know you can. So you, you know, as you're witty, you don't just have four hit points, you know, with your, or three because you got minus one constitution bonus. You know, yeah, um, <laughs> I try to make sure that there is, you know, that they at least getting to the point they can start to have fun and not be constantly worried about the fact their character is so fragile. 
so and there is no perfect rule for awarding XP, but I think that in these settings, um, don't come into it with what you've done in other like don't don't walk into Death Watch having run Dark Heresy and think I'll use the same rules. Look at the XP charts in the books. Look at what things are going to cost. Think about the sort of you know your expectation is. Do I want my people to be able to buy something cheap every turn, or, or have to wait between goes for to buy something expensive, um, or do I want them to power up really fast so I can get the game to a certain point? I can give them certain challenges. Um, yeah, I mean, I when I run the the published models, I tend to ignore mostly the XP award suggestions in the book because they're either some of them ridiculous. I find they're either too much or they. Punish characters for finding ways around things which are not the way the book expected. You know, so it's like, also, if the player carries it, blah, they're getting a bonus play. But they achieved that but didn't do that as such, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I tend to just sort of play it by ear myself anyway. But, you know, so I mean, any other thoughts you want to say about, about awarding XP? Anything, any rules that work for you? Um, if you are giving out a set amount, say you're giving out 500 a game, and you award XP for downtime sessions... Never give out more in a downtime session than about half of what you'd get for a game. Okay. Okay, that, that's probably the best advice I can give. All right. So, yeah. you know, if you're giving out 500 a game, don't ever give anyone more than 250 for a downtime description of what they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that comes back to when we talk about blue booking, we never really spoke about the fact, but yeah, it's, it's really, when someone puts an effort into developing stuff outside of the regular gameplay, it's worth your while to. Give them something. Reward that behavior as well. because but so long as it's not too much. Yeah. And, and look, at the end of the day, what it does is encourage other players to do the same. Yeah. Um, although, I will say conversely, I've seen situations where there is people in a group who are happy to write up long things about their characters, you know, actions outside the game and get a bit of, get a small XP award because of that. Other player, other players feel jipped because they are not the people that want to do that. They don't want, they don't want to put the extra work in. Yet they feel it's unfair that such and such the other person gets extra XP for something that they're not prepared to do as such, you know. Yeah, well, they can just go suck an egg. <laughs> How do you really feel, Mike? I'm unclear about your intentions here. Well, I've never actually really done blue booking for XP. Yeah. I know it's a thing in a lot of games. Um, if they're not willing to put in the effort, that's fine. But you can't really bemoan the fact that they haven't put in any effort and someone else has. Yeah, I mean, I played in a and d campaign once where um, the character I was playing, after every single session, I would send the GM, um, basically, it was a, a letter the character was writing home to their parents to describe their adventures, you know, along the way each time as such, you know, and... Yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and the GM, you know, thought she always enjoyed that, so she gave me extra uh, XP for that as such. You know, and I enjoyed the process of writing it as well. You know, yeah, so. you never leveled up from it. No, that's right. No, there no, you go. Bit, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if someone doesn't want to blue book and they're complaining in that way, you may want to say to them, "Well, that's fine. Think about it. You don't have to write it down." And before the adventure. While everyone else is getting their snack food ready and their lunches, just pull me aside and explain. Tell me about it. Yeah, Tell me so, about it. Yeah. If they're not even willing to do that, you know. Yeah. That's it. Well, that's their problem. <laughs> All right. I think we've covered experience enough. I think okay, so. Let's move on. All astropaths in the choir chamber. Message incoming. 
So the last thing we normally do before we close out the show is just talk about any sort of feedback we've received. Um, so iTunes reviews, for example, which I haven't seen any new ones in the last couple of weeks, but uh, if you do enjoy the show, please take a moment to jump onto iTunes and give us a review there or tell your friends, tell your family. You know, we're always always willing to take more listeners, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as comments go, uh, one thing I wanted to point out was that uh, a friend of ours, we've mentioned on the show before, Pat, who plays in our games, has a blog. He has a name on the blog which I can't pronounce, um, but uh, we will link his blog in our... Um... We'll, we'll just nickname him Delay My Action. <laughs> he listens to these shows. He's going to get annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to get annoyed. He knows he delays his actions. But no, anyway, uh, Pat has a blog uh, where he talks about all things related to gaming and particularly psychology in gaming. And he took time recently to write about our show on his blog, yep. um, which we very much appreciate. Thanks very much, um, Pat, for the kind words. To, uh, speaking about particularly the um, the fear system yes. that, in, that we, we mentioned before, fear and insanity. Uh, and I took a moment as well to say on his blog that uh, I think by far one of the best fear and insanity systems I've ever seen uh, is the um, system from Unknown Armies, uh, the, the stress system there. And I mentioned that in Pat's blog, but... Uh, uh, check out his blog. I'm sure he'll put some more posts there shortly about uh, other various gaming things. Pat himself is also a gaming writer. Um, I know that he is behind uh, High Space and Hail, both of which are produced by Australian company called Story River Games, both of which are available on Drive Through RPG. I think Pat's been involved in a number of other projects as well, which I couldn't name right now, but certainly um, I know that High Space is a very well regarded um, sci fi RPG. So, um, yeah, do check out that. So, um, have a look on drive through RPG. Make sure you follow our affiliate link as well. But, uh, yeah, one of them is called High Space. The other one is called Hail, which is H-A-E-L, which is sort of a fantasy world take where, um, I think it's where, where orcs are the predominant race rather than humans, for example. So, yeah. um, both interesting games that we both enjoyed and, and are worth looking at. And thanks once again, Pat, for mentioning our show on your blog. Uh, if you do want to contact us, there's many ways to do so. First is through our website, which is www.grimdartpodcast.com. On the right-hand side there, you'll also see our voicemail link where you can leave a voicemail for us. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast. Uh, we tweet at grimdartpodcast. And our email is uh, show at grimdartpodcast.com. Don't forget as well, on our website, on the left-hand side, you'll see the affiliate link for DriveThruRPG, which I mentioned before. If you follow that, any PDF books you buy through DriveThruRPG not only support the creators, but also support the show. Uh, okay, so we've got 50 episodes in the can now. Excellent work, Mike. Yep. Thanks very yep. much for all your help and all that time. And uh, No problems. We'll move, move right along to episode 51. It'll be our next uh, Dark Heresy 2nd Edition book, uh, book uh, show. Um, I know we'll be talking about The Sage... Uh, I very much doubt that uh, Enemies Without will be available by then, so I'm going to well, do... Well, very much doubt it will be available here in Australia by then. That's <laughs> it. Um, however, I, we have promised in the past that we were going to review, keep reviewing some first edition Tyke Heresy books and also talk about how the rules from those might be used in second edition. Yep. So we're going to review Creatures Anathema. Um, and we'll come up with some more topics to add to the show in the time between now and then. But hopefully you'll join us for our 51st show as we push onwards towards the the next milestone. Thank you, Mike, for joining me tonight. You're welcome. And we will catch you next time. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. 
Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibios Musicali, music.mibio.com.